This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, July 13th, 2017. I'm Caleb Brown. A new trade agreement between Japan and Europe is in the works. It may not be as big as NAFTA was for North America, but it signals that trade won't slow down across the globe just because an avowed protectionist sits in the White House. Simon Lester, trade policy analyst at the Cato Institute, discusses the developing agreement and its likely impact. The EU-Japan trade agreement, uh, first of all, it's an agreement in principle right now. It's not actually completed. Um, They've given us some information about what's going to be in it. Basically, it involves the core trade issue of lowering tariffs. So the Europeans would like to export more cheese to Japan, and Japan has agreed to lower tariffs on cheese, for example. And the Japanese would like to export more more cars to Europe, and Europe has agreed to to lower tariffs on cars. And this has sort of been the basics uh, of trade agreements for for centuries, and it's a good thing. It's free trade. Um, The trade agreement also involves um, some more cutting-edge innovative things like liberalization of trade and services, which is more complicated. It's not clear at this point how much it achieves in this regard. Uh, We haven't seen all the the full details, but it's going to make some progress in those areas. So, I mean, basically, the EU-Japan trade agreement is nothing innovative. It's just what everybody does in trade uh, negotiations these days. But it was presented at least by a few people as a a big deal uh, of the scale potentially of NAFTA. And you say that's just not true. I don't think that's true because the U.S., Canada, and Mexico are are neighbors and are some of each other's biggest trading partners. And so when you liberalize trade among people who trade a lot, the effects are much greater. The EU and Japan, if you look at a globe, you'll see they're kind of far away. I mean they trade a lot but not on the the same level as U.S., Canada, and Mexico. I think that the bigness of the EU-Japan trade agreement is more about – the the rest of the world responding to the Trump administration's aggressive trade rhetoric. They're saying we're not just going to sit back and be bullied by you. Um, If you want to be protectionist, okay, we can't really stop you. But we are going to liberalize with each other and and, and sort of implicitly, you will feel the impact of that. Uh, U.S. producers might want to export more to Japan, but suddenly uh, European producers have an advantage. They're going to be paying lower tariffs. And so I think that's the, the real importance of this deal. It's pushback from the rest of the world against the Trump administration's aggressive trade rhetoric. So. Is this an argument for aggressive trade rhetoric? If it if it's if it's pushing, come on, work with me here. If it's pushing the rest of the world to say, you know what, we're going to liberalize with with all these other countries to deal with the sort of uh, the odious uh, trade rhetoric that we hear from Donald Trump. I'm happy for the rest of the world if they get some trade liberalization. The problem is from our side. If if we end up with with more protectionism, we in America are, are worse off. So I, I think the better way to to get trade liberalization is for us to promote it and others to follow. If we're going to be protectionist and that causes others to to liberalize. Well, that's great for them, but maybe then we have to go move abroad to take advantage of it. And I don't know if that's – I'd rather have the trade liberalization here. Now, you mentioned NAFTA and the fact that we have this such strong trading relationships. I think Canada is still our number one trading partner, isn't right. it? I think that's right, yeah. Uh, and you know, is there any effort right now by the Trump, Trump team on trade, the protectionist triumvirate as uh, you've noted in the past? Uh, is there any uh, issue with them uh, – being less integrated with Mexico and Canada. Well, look, I mean, we, we shouldn't forget the big initiative that the Trump administration is promoting right now is that they're going to renegotiate NAFTA. Um, we don't know what that means. Uh, most people say, hey, NAFTA is pretty good. Uh, what is it you want to change about it? And they haven't really told us yet. Um, possibly, though, we could end up in a better situation. 
we could simply take the innovations that have been done in trade agreements over the, the subsequent decades after NAFTA and now incorporate them into NAFTA. And that's not too bad. The danger is if some of the, the more harmful things that the Trump administration has suggested at times they want in trade agreements, if that gets put into to NAFTA. So for example, the idea that we would renegotiate uh, NAFTA whenever there's a, a, the trade deficit is increased, something like that. So there is the possibility that at the end of all of this ranting and raving about trade and, and you know, aggressive rhetoric, that we will end up with simply a new and improved NAFTA and a better North American trade relationship, which is not too bad. But at this point, it's just too, it's too early to tell. The Trump people haven't told us much about what they want to do. They want to blow everything up, they say. What do they want to install to replace it? And they've given us very little. I think they don't know yet. I think they're still having internal fights about what to do. Is, is the aggressive rhetoric from uh, Donald Trump and his team on trade, is that compelling countries in your view to articulate the, the most basic uh, gains from trade explanation to the world and sort of firm up their backbone when it comes to why we trade to begin with? I think that's true. I don't know if every country has done this, but I think that the EU has definitely sort of you know, been vocal about saying we think trade is good and here are the benefits of it. Now, let's not be deceived. These are not pure free traders out there and every, every government out there has lots of protectionism that they sort of embed in their system. But nevertheless, I think it is good to have people other than us, sort of avowed free traders out there making the case for free trade. So that has been a benefit, I guess, um, although you know the circumstances still, you know, on balance, I'm not sure we're better off. But it's nice to see uh, governments around the world talking, you know, saying good things about trade. Even China, China says good things about trade. Now, I mean, they're still very protectionist, but it's better to have the positive rhetoric than not. I would say. About this time, six months ago, uh, you and uh, Dan Eikenson and uh, Dan Mitchell and I were talking about. You know what are we going to expect from a Trump administration on trade? And I think the general consensus was a lot more actions at the World Trade Organization, and uh, potentially using the wide and, for the most part, untested presidential authorities that that are that govern trade. So far, presidents have used that authority very little, and to the extent that they have, it's to promote trade. But uh, with Donald Trump, somebody who's very skeptical of trade, and I think it's one of the things that is actually a deeply held uh, opinion for him going back to uh, the 1980s, uh, we haven't seen that much. We're six months in and we haven't seen much action to prevent or make worse our trading relationships. Yeah, and that, that's right. And part of the explanation has been they had some trouble getting the, their U.S. trade representative, Robert Lighthizer, in place. So they, they were kind of delayed a couple months. Um, but now he's in place. Now he's there. And you know, we're starting, I think, over the, in the next uh, coming weeks and months, we'll start to see some real decisions being made and they'll go in one direction or the other. So one example would be an investigation that the Commerce, is doing, Commerce uh, Department is doing right now into whether steel and aluminum imports undermine U.S. national security. And if they find that that's the case, they have wide discretion to impose tariffs and quotas. And if they do that, I think other countries will see this as an abuse of the trading system. Um, there's sort of this really you know, vague exception for national security that is rarely invoked. Um, it, it's considered sort of the nuclear option. Um, if you invoke national security to start imposing tariffs, well, isn't everybody going to do that? And doesn't that just undermine the trading relationships all around the world? 
And we'll find out. I mean, in the next couple of weeks, they've, they've announced they're going to do it soon, but then there's been a bit of a delay. The Trump administration will come up with you know, a, an investigation report uh, about the effect on national security and recommendations about what to do, whether to impose tariffs or quotas. And if they do it, um, the Europeans have already announced, well, hey, we're going to retaliate. Uh, so th this is going to be one of the early tests of is the Trump administration, uh, is there tough rhetoric? Is it just rhetoric or is it going to become reality? Are they really going to, to push us into trade wars? Or is this just going to be the usual tough talk but within the, you know, within the uh, confines of the rules-based trading system? Simon Lester is a trade policy analyst at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast at iTunes and Google Play and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. Thank you.